I'll start out with the big name. So Robert Downey Jr. was one of the people I got to see, but there's been a lot of um, Hollywood people, actors, producers, directors. They're really successful people, and it's, it's an opportunity if you're in this business to bump into them. For the last 10 years, primarily I've been doing um, high val dollar value homes for private banking clients. They buy a piece of property, and two years later they just build like this mansion. Like you like, wow, that, I didn't know that area is so valuable. How do they determine the value like when you're going so high? It, it really is about information. So if I'm appraising a house in, in Canoga Park, for right. instance. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode with Primetime with Mendel. I'm here with a special guest, an appraiser um, with MSW Appraisal Services, uh, Michael Weiss. And you're well known as a, a really good appraisal that gets accurate value. And I know you've done really like some real famous uh, stars. Um, you told me in our, in our conversations, just if you could list a few of them, just so our audience knows who we're, who, who we're dealing with. <laughs> I'll start out with the big name. So Robert Downey Jr. was one of the people I got to see, but there's been a lot of um, Hollywood people, actors and... Uh, Producers, directors, sports people, you know, over the years. I mean, I didn't write the names down, but uh, that's kind of the uh, fun part of the business. Well, you get every so often a little ex excitement. So I've done myself, I've done, you know, Hollywood stars. So that's, we can't share their names yet. <laughs> you know, maybe once they retire. We'll compare notes. Yeah. I'm sure you have, you know, LA is filled with, you know, uh, high net worth individuals, really successful people, and it's, it's an opportunity if you're in this business to bump, bump into them. Absolutely. Yeah, so also tell me a little bit, I know you, we, met, we spoke about, you did some really um, high-end homes. You, you mentioned that you did a home for uh, appraisal for $40 million. Tell me a little bit about think, like, you know, higher valued well, you know, homes. Sure, so that, that was something that I built up so um, in my career that... Um, for the last 10 years, primarily I've been doing um, high val dollar value homes for private banking clients. Yeah. So these are the ones, these are kind of, these are the fun homes. They're actually, the assignments are difficult, but it's always a lot of fun to go to a Bel Air or to a Malibu location and see these massive homes, you know, or, or these amazingly built homes. Um, and they, the dollar prices are quite astonishing. Right. you know, here in LA. Right, I, I'm noticing that uh, recently, I'm seeing these, these, they buy a piece of property, and two years later, they just build like this mansion. Like you like, wow, that, I didn't know that area is so valuable. <laughs> it is, well, we actually had a property that was, I believe, listed at, I don't know if it was 250 million or 500 million, oh. I don't believe it's sold, um, but there is a house called The One, and anybody wants to, they can look it up. There's a whole YouTube video, I think it's about an hour long, but uh, I think it's over 100,000 square feet. Um, it did not sell, but uh, that, that would be probably an appraiser's nightmare, actually, to, right. to have to appraise that. But Right, right, so that's you've done like on that scale. I've done, uh, the high end would be in the 40 million, right. Range, but I think you know, high end for Los Angeles right now. I'd say it was like when you get into the 25 million and up. There's a lot of properties there. That's a target market anywhere from Bel Air and uh, Holmby Hills. Um, you have Truesdale Estates, all the Hollywood Hills, and Santa Monica for sure, Malibu. 
Right. I want, I always wonder like, what, can't you just throw in an extra 10 million to the value? <laughs> like, I, I, I can't, like, you know, like the million dollar homes, like, you know, most of our transactions that we do over here is more like million dollar homes, $3 million homes, you know, that's a standard, you know what I mean? In, in California, it's at least a million, you know, anywhere you turn. Um, my question to you is, how do they determine the value, like, when you're going so high? Like, it is. is it who, who lived there before, especially when yeah. it's like that? Like, Not, well, there could be, sometimes there could be some historical significance to who lived there, or the architect who built it, who could actually, you know, add some value. But it, it really is about information. So if I'm appraising a house in, in Canoga Park, for instance, right. and I can pull two or three or five comps, and they're all model matches, you know, and, and it's all within a very tight range. Right. I know what the value is. But right. when you get into a high a dollar property, and it's, and it's, let's say, in the $20 million range, you're basing your values off of comparable sales. And what is a comparable sale? There's, it's a unique house. It's a one of a kind. So what do I do? So there's always comps. So you have to pull from what you have, and you're either going back in time or you're extending your research area, you know, and to not just be the one mile, it might have to be five miles or 10 miles. Um, so it could be very difficult to determine the value when you have only a handful of what you would consider, you know, viable comps for this property. Right. And especially I see many times they say, um, this is listed, um, uh, this actor lived here, this actor, especially when it's like that. And, and it's like, you know, if that actor is still up and coming, so then the value, <laughs> I'm trying to figure that out. Like, how does that work on, on value? It could. I mean, there was, it seems that I've done some appraisals where you had an actor selling to another actor, you know, so because they live there, who knows, you know, maybe they were able to get, you know, an extra 10% or 15% higher value just because, you know, it was kind of a, you know, industry inside type of transaction. Okay, that's really interesting. So let's get straight and practical, you know, practical into people we get in our company, we have LBC Mortgage, we also have a lending B, which is a private money. People are always trying to get a home um, many times, like, uh, you know, anywhere between a million to $3 million range. So from a, an appraiser's uh, standpoint, what's important before the appraiser comes? Is there anything they could do, um, any fix, you know, anything they could fix that could, you know, add a lot of value? Because especially in California, you know, you have a fix and flip here, you do a fix and flip, you add a hundred thousand, you, once you add a hundred thousand dollars into the property, it goes up much more than just a hundred thousand dollars. So what could they do if they're trying to either sell their property, if they're trying to refi, what, what could they do to increase the value of the property that you see in appraisers, appraisals that like, oh, that's going to increase the value. That's right. going to increase the value. That's a good question. Yeah, absolutely. So most appraisals are done as as is, you know, you show up and this is the property. There could be to be completed, meaning that you've, the lender already knows that you're going to do this remodel. So you're now coming out there. And even though the property could be a mess, you're appraising it like it's a finished model. Right. Um, it could even be a piece of dirt that you're appraising as a completely built house right. and so forth. But again, so you, what adds value? So obviously, you know, it, there's a general rule of thumb that like kitchens and bathrooms, um, interior areas 
that adds the biggest bang for the buck. Um, I personally believe in California that indoor outdoor living is a is a really big thing. So I think uh, hardscape upgrades can be really important, add a lot of value, and also the curb appeal to a house and with landscaping. Um, but as far as like when. When I come and I'm going to appraise your house, right. right? The deal's kind of already done, right? So you know, I'm the guy. I'm in at the eleventh hour. You know, the right. deal's going to get done. They just want to know what the value is, and this appraisal has to be attached to that loan right. package. So, as the borrower, I mean, you're not. I'm. You're not my, even my client. You're just you own the house, which is going to be used as collateral against this loan. Right. So it is good. I mean, I think that. Having the place clean or, you know, it's not a total mess is always a good thing. You know, make it show as nice as possible. Right. Um, but there are certain things that um, if your house has um, uh, deferred maintenance, there could be things that actually cause your your loan to fail. Um, for instance, like an FHA loan, if you have peeling paint and so forth, there's certain uh, items or um, you don't have a strapped water heater. These, this is going to delay. This is going to cost the loan not to go through. So make sure that like you have all of the check item lists, like strapped water heaters. Uh, um, if you have uh, window bars, they have to be either removed or they have to have safety releases and, and so forth. So make sure if, if the kitchen doesn't have a, an appliance in that it's supposed to, that could cause a, a defect in the appraisal that it's going to be, um, the value might be there, but you're not going to get the funding on that loan until you get that item fixed. So those are important things and make sure everything is functioning well. So the first thing is like certain things that could just, we call it blow up the deal, you yeah. know, destroy the deal is on FHA. I know it's, it's much more strict. Yes. So what's the things like on an FHA loan that are like absolutely, mm -hmm. like you said, peeling paint, um, double uh, strapping the water heater. That's a, sim a simple that's fix. Right. Um, but like, what else are you seeing that like, I know like I, we've done loans for people that have like uh, pools that are, you know, not in good condition. So it's so it's either you fill it up with earth, cover it over, or you get good water going out. Right. So an empty pool is yeah. a um, is a safety violation. Right. So you technically you're going to fail if you have right. an empty pool. So that's an issue. So yeah, make sure that um, you know that you take care of all these items, and you can actually there is a list you can look it up. I'm sure if you, right. you Google it, you can find out you know what things that you might have to to get ready to get fixed. So you don't run into a problem in the 11th hour, which could affect your rate because right. you know you might have a lock that expires and now you maybe rates are going up. So right. um, are you doing a purchase, right? And you know there's been too many delays and now you're gonna get a lot of, per uh, lot of pressure from the sellers. Right. Listen, you know, like either get this thing done or we're moving on. Right. So, so you wanna make sure there's certain basic items that are checked off before an appraiser walks through the door. So right. you don't have to like delay the process. That's right. So from when you get the, the you know, the order, how does it work? Like you're sitting in, in your office and you, you, you get an email. Do you want to bid on this appraise, like this, this, this um, job? How does it work? Is it bidding? Is it you get an assignment? Like how do you generate business? Like how does this whole process, I know like loans, it's like, Quite simple. You find the borrower and, and you, you do a deal. Like, how does it work 
as an appraiser? As an appraiser in general, this is it, that you that you get approved by certain banks, you know, and then you get onto their appraiser list. Right. So they're going to send you an assignment mm -hmm. and you're going to get it, you know, today it's all emails. Right. Um, are you going to be asked to bid on an assignment? So once you get the assignment, it's going to come over to you, right? And you're going to get a PDF that you open up. It's going to have all the information. It's going to tell you the property. And you're going to have a fee. And then you're going to have a contact person. So the first thing I do is I contact either the uh, the borrower, the homeowner, or, my, or broker. And I tell them who I am. And I'm going to be appraising the property. I get some basic information on the property, right? And... Um, if it's a sale, I ask them about the sales price um, and then basically make a, an appointment to come out and do a physical inspection. Right. Um, and then before I come out to the assignment, I'm going to have uh, all my comps pulled um, or I'm going to have a, a list of comps. Let's say there's maybe 10 comps that right. I'm going to potentially use and then I'll weed it down to five. And then after I go out to see the property, I'll pick my five our six best comps, uh, and then that's, and then, then I go back to the office and write the report up. Right, and and I noticed there's like, we've had circum uh, certain circumstances, we need an, a rushed appraisal, and then it costs more. I'm just curious, yeah. I'm sure rush this fee. is, pro yeah, so who is getting that rush fee? That's what I want to know, Who who's getting that fee? Are you getting the fee, or it's the company, they're just rushing it, but they're just I, saying we need it fast. I get it. So if there's a rush fee, they generally add that on there, or I'll say, less, you know, there's X amount for a rush fee. Like, if right. you need me to get out there today or tomorrow, so there is a fee that I would charge for that. And what's the, the fastest appraisal, appraisal you have done? Oh, I mean, day of. I mean, I've had to do, you know, one that day, go out, see it, inspect it, come back, write it up, and send it in. And generally, it's next day. You know, it, it could be 24-hour turnaround. So when it's like five days, someone's not working fast enough? Um, it depends on the, you know, the workflow also. Okay. I mean, it, um, you know, a year and a half ago, I mean, it was so insane with the low rates and the amount of buyers and right. the amount of refires. It was like they would send me, you know, 10 appraisals a day, and I'm like, I'm a single guy, you know, right. I'm a single, appra single appraiser here. Right. I mean, I'll do one or two a day and I can't take any more workload. And right. the stuff I'm doing, you know, it's going to take you seven to 10 days just on the turn. Right. So you're saying it's, it's, it's kind of like you have a certain amount you could do every day. And then um, right. when the market's busy, it's, it's very busy. Well, most appraisals are sent to me. Mm -hmm. And I'm the appraiser, so I have to in physically inspect it, right. right? I can't send somebody out as me because that would be a violation. Right. Or and I don't have a firm, so if I had right. appraisers under me that are approved, I could, you know, sub out the work to them because they would be an approved appraiser at my firm. So that you know, but as a, as an independent, um, and I just do my own workload. There's only so much that I can do because I have to physically visit the property. Right. So the market has drastically changed. Yes. You know, I've, I've done a loan for someone just a year ago, a bank statement loan, 3.75. Yes. Now that same bank statement loan is like in the eights, in the nines, depending on how much they're putting down. So we're in LA, you know, LA, the good thing about LA, it's a great market. It's, you know, there's taxes. 
Um, now we're going to have extra tax, you know, the YU, the, the new tax for $5 million homes, right. you know, and $10 million homes. Actually, I interviewed the lead lawyer of the team. He's, he's talking about, I have an interview with him about that. So, yeah, so it's, it's going to, you know, it's, it's crazy, like 5.5% tax on a sale and no heads up, whatever, that's a different story. But what could you recommend to somebody, first-time investors that are sitting and watching this at home and they're thinking, should I go out, uh, try to buy property in LA? We're not talking about the, you know, as a whole, the, the US, you know? We're not talking about Texas, we're not talking about Florida, talking about just California, um, especially the big cities like LA. Is it a good time to buy or is it a bad time to buy? That's what I love asking everybody. You know, that's a good question. I mean, I'm going to give you, you know, my opinion. In general, as an appraiser, mm -hmm. I look, so to speak, in the rearview mirror. Right. right. I'm not projecting on what's going to be. It's like what it is today right. versus anything, you know, that's happened over the last three to six or 12 months. Right. right? So, but... I, as my own opinion about investing in real estate, which I've done some, is that it, for the most part in LA, it's always a good time to buy real estate, except maybe, you know, that period um, in 2006, 7, 8, you know, when the lending really, uh, you, know, you know, skewed out the values. And then there right. was this, you know, tremendous trend is back, uh, that, that came back and, and, and the, killed the prices. But I think it's generally, for most people, if you, if, if you have the funds, if you have the ability, I mean, and you have the property that you want to buy, that you should pull the trigger because it's generally going to work out for you, especially if you're a fix and flip and you're going to add value in there, you're going to make money on it. Right. You know, there's only in my opinion and what I've seen very, you know, short windows where it was really a bad time to actually get into the market. Right. And, and something that I think everyone forgets, that it's just the nature of the market. You know, um, we forget everything. We forgot that a year ago there was bidding wars on the same properties right now that are listed less than a year ago. Mm -hmm. We forgot. We forgot about that. Every, the, we forgot that there's a housing shortage. We forgot. We're so focused on the interest rate that we forgot all these key principles in investing that... LA is not going anywhere. Right. There's a certain amount of people that could fit in this area, especially when it comes to buying value add properties and properties that are, are a little distressed. Mm -hmm. And even though they're hard to find, so you might have to put more work into finding them. But you know, there's more things sitting on the market today. They're not selling like this. Right. And some people do need to sell for various reasons. So I think I think you know it could be like you said the the market has been you you've been doing this for how many years? So I've been appraising for twenty years, right. and I, and I think as an investor or a home buyer or whatever, if if you can if you can swing it and get it done, I mean, and that's the house you want. I mean, and I think you should buy it. I mean, right. if you can do it, because even with the higher rates, I mean, rates will come down, right. you know, and if you can. If you can get qualified and make the payment, I mean, you'll be able to refi. I don't know if it's going to be in a year or two years, but the market's overreacted to the high side. It will come back, um, and we will. And I'm I'm pretty positive we're going to see you know mortgage rates back in the fives right. at some point. You know, and it'll probably be in the next 
you know, 12, 24 months, maybe a little longer. I don't know, but it, right. we will see lower rates. So you can always refi and you can always get a, you know, a better deal on a mortgage. Also, if you notice it, like in the news you're hearing right now, there's layoffs. There's, you know, big companies that are laying off thousands of workers. So now could be a great time to buy before you get laid off because right now um, you could qualify still. And, and many times people say to me, what's going to be when, what am I going to do when, when now I don't qualify anymore and I'm in an FHA loan? Mm -hmm. um, this is what we were doing before is the FHA streamline, which is no verification of income at all. So that means you could buy, let's say right now with an FHA loan, a million dollar property, three and a half percent down. There's even programs for down payment assistance. Mm -hmm. As long as you know right now, I could stomach this payment, I can handle it. So you're not thinking long-term, you're thinking short-term, can I handle this payment right now? But you're thinking long-term about the property, that this is a, LA is a good place, um, this is a nice property, and things like that. And then even if your income changes for whatever reason, and the rates drop, you just do the streamline, which is literally, I've done it, many of them, you know, in the refi boom. It's just based, there's no verification of income at all. And you just streamline the refinance. So, that's a good trick. <laughs> I don't know, you know what you think about well, that. I, I'm not so involved on the, the mortgage side, but I know that just from my own experience that qualifying for a mortgage is, is more difficult than it was in the days when you had you know no docs and, right. and so forth. Um, just came in, you apped and you got approved. So right. like, so, uh, and that's another reason that real estate is much more stable now because people, everyone, they have skin in the game, right. right? And they can qualify. So we haven't seen the wide, you know, the big fluctuations. We did see it on the upside here, and I think that was pandemic induced. Right. Um, there was just a rush to buy, and I think I think that's worked its way through the system. So now we have a more of an um, an equal uh, equality in the market between buyers and sellers. So there's a little give and take. It's never good. Well, if you're a seller, it's good, but it's never good when it's all, you know, about you know, the seller and the buyers have to line up and right. pay whatever. That's not a good market dynamic, really, uh, in my opinion. It's, it's always good when you have more of an equal balance between buyers and sellers. Right. And, and I, was, I was speaking recently to a big investor, and I was like asking, what's your opinion of the market and what do you think? So he just broke down, the, you know, the class, the A class, the B class, the C class of properties. And his main point was, which I think is relevant to anyone that's thinking about buying, is if you're buying anything residential, people always need to live somewhere. Mm -hmm. If you're buying something that is, might, you know, if the economy, you know, if people can't afford their office space, they're gonna, we saw this by the pandemic, people went remote. So, um, but if you're talking about, let's say, residential real estate, multifamily, People always need to live somewhere. That's right. So that's, I think, something to consider when in a in a uncertain market. If you're buying something that is residential, you're pretty safe. That's right. Especially in a city like a city like Los Angeles. Yes, and rents have just, as you see, they they go up even though they might right. be more or less stable, but they're really insanely high. I mean, I've done um, investment houses that. The monthly rate is between twenty and thirty thousand dollars, and we're not talking about Malibu right. beachfront real estate. We're talking about a nice thirty-five hundred square foot house in West Hollywood, and they're getting twenty-seven thousand dollars. Wow! 
So as you know, you're much better off, you know, to own a house than have to, you know, f pay that kind of rent. And if you're an investor uh, and you buy multifamily, I mean, it's long term rents are on an upward trajectory. We're seeing also short term rentals. Um, people are forgetting about that. The short term right. rentals are still people still want a vacation in California. That's right. that's, that's just yeah. And people are buying uh, traditional multifamilies and turning them into B and B type uh, investments. You know, which is more uh, hands on, but it's like a tremendous value there if you right. can if you know what you're doing. Right. You have to manage it, but uh, right. there's, it's a different aspect. It's not just like set it and forget it. But and also we were talking before another value right now is there's there's buy down points for the next two years that really are like. A blessing. You get a mortgage, you get a buy, you get rate buy downs from the seller. The seller is willing to pay for your rate yeah. buy down, and then you're getting a better price. So as long as the rates get better, you're good. That's right. So seller concession is it's a good thing to see because that just shows that there's a better balance in the market when a seller is willing to cough up a certain amount of money out of their pocket to get the deal done. That just means that, you know, that there's an equilibrium in the market that's, and, and it's, that should be a positive sign for, for buyers when they, when they see that, that sellers are willing to give some sort of concession, you know, and, you know, it was so insane. It was basically, well, write us a letter and tell us why you want to own our house. Right. You know, that was so insane. Right. Like, and they were literally, there's stories of that. Right. And people did. They, they, they drafted up these long, you know, teary-eyed letters, like, why we want to live in your house. Right. And, and, and that's not normal. Yeah, it's insane. Like, writing a letter that, you know, <laughs> also you were competing before you were, com if you were a first-time homebuyer, you were competing with maybe a hedge fund to buy a property. <laughs> literally. Yes. Literally. So, like, you were just, like, priced out, overpriced. Now, all these hedge funds, they work off, basically, they need to see absolute security when they're investing. So they're like waiting for the right time. If you're that guy that just wants to buy one house, not a hundred, if you're going to try to get a hundred at a good price, it's going to be hard. But if you want a guy just buy one house at a good price, now is a good time, in my opinion. Yeah. I'm sure you, I don't you Well, like I said, I think it's a good time if, if it's, if you find the house right. and you can get the deal done, right. buy the house, you're going to have a Make sure you double strap your heater, <laughs> your water heater, you know, make sure the paint's not peeling, you know, the, so the last two questions I have for you, first okay. of all, is I, I want to make this podcast um, informative to the viewers that they could learn something and maybe even go into a career. Mm -hmm. Do you think, number one, do you think that um, appraiser, being an appraiser is a good career if you're an entrepreneur or you want a, a side hustle or something like that? I think it, it could be good. It's been great for 20 right. years. Now, what's going on now with the... With the interest rate market, it's really put a kibosh. I'm, I'm not doing a lot of work. Uh, I don't know what the long-term implications that's going to be as far as, as a career, mm -hmm. but it will always be needed because as long as you're doing loans, you're going to need right. guys like me to do appraisals because that loan, that, that appraisal has to be in that 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 package, you right. know, so it's going to it's always going to be around. But right. I think people could look at it as a, uh, even a combo career. Like, let's say you're a, a mortgage broker. Let's say you're a mortgage. Let's say you're a real estate agent. And then you're also an appraiser. Right. You know, you could do 
and combine and say, hey, when this is slow, I can do some of this. And I've met, I've met some guys out there that, that, that sell a few houses a year and then they appraise. So right. it's a nice combination. And you're basically in the same industry, you know, right. you're doing the same thing. Especially like, um, you know, if, if you're starting out now, there's a lot of value in that because a lot of people are retiring now. So you can start working for somebody that's thinking about retiring and then you can learn the ropes, you know what I mean? And then in a few years, you're, you're, the real estate's not going anywhere. You know, maybe, maybe Bitcoin is going somewhere, <laughs> but we don't know about Bitcoin. No one knows. Yeah, there'll be some other thing, not Dogecoin. That's, that's, uh, that was just hype, you know? Um, and then my last question to you is, this is I ask all our viewers is, all our, anyone I interview is, what is your best piece of advice if someone is in their 20s or 30s starting out a career or trying to make a living, trying to earn a good income? What's your piece of advice for someone starting out? I think that what I tell people is that uh, don't try doing it alone. You know, find out what you want to do or have an idea what you want to do. Or sometimes it's just an opportunity presents itself, right. you know, but if you're going to get into an, an industry, you're going to get into a profession, you know, you need to learn the ropes. You can't right. think like, I'll just do it on my own. Right. So my advice is like, get in and sometimes it's really hard. You know, um, I was a bond broker. It was really difficult breaking in. But once you get in, you're around people who've been around a long time. Right. Those are the people who are going to teach you what you need to know. So really, I'm really big at like, if you want to get into a profession, go work, you know, get a job with, with, with some good people and put in your time and, and learn the business and it will pay off because then you become those people. You become the guy with the knowledge and the information and that's valuable. Right. And, and then people will come to you and then, and now, and that's how you build yourself up in business. I mean, in life in general, you right. know, people are going to teach you a lot. And, and if you, and actually what I've always said is that I learned the most from, from people ask me questions and I didn't know the answer Interesting. because I never forgot that answer. After I found out what it was that I needed to know, that was valuable information and I did not forget, so. I love that. I think, I think that's a very powerful lesson for young people. There's no get rich fast. Uh, there's no, um, anything, anyone that teaches you that is just, it's, it's misguided. Well, I think in social media, they get exposed right. to like, you know, all these people who, you know, whatever they did, you know, they're almost to me like, uh, uh, you see these people who, who, who started up in social media and they became a big hit. Right. They're to me like, there's so many people doing it. Right. These people are like the lottery winners. Right. So don't base your life on, I'm going to be the lottery winner yeah. because you know what, in general, that's not going to turn out very well. Thank you so much for taking the time to come in. Great. Really, thank you so much. I really enjoy this, and I look forward to working together with you in the future. Okay, thank you. Thank, thank you. Me. Thanks a lot. Yeah.